Good morning. It's great to be with you guys. This is my first time in Dallas. Yes. I've been to the airport before, but that doesn't count. Um, and you guys really do have an incredible church from what I can see so far. I got in yesterday. I did spend time with your missions committee last night, as well as um, all of your missionaries who were able to be there. So we had 30 people at the Relke's house. It was a great time. Um, it was loud. There was lots of laughter and spirited conversation. And just hearing the things that like people in this church are doing and the things that you guys support, like it's awesome. Uh, it's really incredible. Uh, everything from missions abroad and things happening in Cambodia and on mercy ships and uh, the ministry that you guys have with the international student population around here, like it's really great. And uh, this morning I wore my missions clothes because um, I, I want to dress like you. Because today I want to talk to you. And, and what I want to talk about this morning is um, the seed that's been planted in you and what you're going to do with that. Because I can see you're already a church that values international missions. You guys value sending people. You value um, supporting people. You value going. And that's, that's amazing. And, and I've been a part of churches um, that are much smaller than you guys who are way less invested in missions. And so I don't feel like I need to give you like a hard push to value that thing. So I want to talk to you about something else. Uh, so Pastor John just read in Matthew chapter 13. Uh, Jesus spoke to people in parables a lot, and um, he spoke to them in parables so that he could use like earthly stories that they could relate to to communicate spiritual principles, right? Makes a lot of sense. I think the ironic part of that is it never really worked. Because every time Jesus would tell a parable, everybody would be like, and then later on, Jesus' disciples would come and be like, Jesus, what are you talking about? Um, and so almost every single time you see one of these parables taking place where Jesus is speaking to a crowd, you see later, like, Jesus doing the debrief with his disciples, and it's like, all right, I'm going to tell you guys what this actually means. So Pastor John read um, verses 3 through 9. Um, so a few verses later, you get down to verse 18, and, and Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. And he indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. What is this parable talking about? In verse 19, when Jesus starts to talk about it, he says, um, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom. The word of the kingdom. Um, I grew up in church. I was in church my whole life, all the time. And uh, whenever I would hear the word kingdom, or kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, any of those, all I would think of is the place I'm going when I die. And if you read the New Testament a little closer, um, Jesus talks about the kingdom all the time as a present reality that like started with him and keeps going all the way into eternity. And, and Jesus has this thing that he's inviting us into. It's not just a message of 
all right, if you believe the right things and you pray the prayer and you go to church um, and you don't do too much bad stuff, then when you die, you get to experience Jesus. Right? The message of the kingdom is so much greater than that. The message of the kingdom is things like Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. A full and abundant life that starts now with him and continues into eternity. Jesus came because we have a broken and a hurting world that he desires to bring redemption to, not just when we all die, but, but now. Right? How many of you guys have experienced like some form of healing or redemption to the brokenness in your life now, in, in this world? Okay, that's amazing. That's the seed that's been planted in us. I once heard somebody say this, and it made so much sense to me, that we have a God who wants his family back. We have a father who wants his family back. And I've, I've thought about that. So as, as Pastor John said, I have, I have three kids, two, four, and six. And if those kids got separated from me, there is nothing that I would not do to get them back. Right? And I know that every parent in here feels the same way. Right? Now, I want you to imagine that your kids got separated from you, and you could see them, but like you almost, you couldn't reach them. They were like just out of your reach. And they were out doing all kinds of stuff that was destructive for them. And they didn't know that you loved them. And they didn't know that you actually wanted them to come home. But then you had these people who you could actually send out to go and try to explain to your kids and show your kids how much you love them. And that you could say, like, you could get them to say, hey, you should go back home. Do you know how much your parents love you? Do you know what they have for you? And the amazing thing is, that's what God calls us to do. God wants us to know, first off, how much he loves us. If you're in here, to some extent, I hope you know how true that is. I hope you know how true that is. I was meeting with the youth this morning, and we were talking, and um, I just asked them the question, like, hey, what do you think God thinks about you? And we started to have a conversation, and I, and I just shared, like, you know, for the first two decades of my Christian life, I was pretty sure that God was, like, disappointed in me. Right? Because I'm like, I read scripture, and I see, like, I'm supposed to be like Jesus. But, but, I'm, but I'm me. Right? And when I look at myself, I'm like, oh, like, you can do better than that, you know? And so I'm thinking, like, well, if that's how I look at it, God's looking, and it's like, all right, Jesus, and then, like, there's, like, me, like, down over here. And I picture God kind of looking down on me and, like, hmm, kind of wish you'd do more. And so that's what I did, right? I spent years of my life, decades of my life, trying to work really hard because I just thought I had this father who was really disappointed in me. And if I worked hard enough and did enough stuff, he might finally look and be like, all right. Like, I, I, was, I was so, like, I read that passage that says, like, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I was like, that's what I want. So I'm like, over here, I'm busting my butt to do things for God because I think he's still looking at me like I'm down on the floor and I'm supposed to be up there, right? And, and that's how a lot of us understand it. But now that I have kids, I look at my kids and like, is there stuff they have to work on? Yeah, they're two, four, and six, you know? Um, but do I look at my kids disappointed all the time? Do you guys look at your kids disappointed all the time? 
Now, unfortunately, some of your kids probably think you look at them disappointed all the time, um, but you don't. Right? You have this love for them that you want them to realize. And you might not want them to come back home and live in your house or your basement. But like, you, you want them with you so that they can experience your love. And so that you can enjoy a relationship with them. And guys, that's, that's the message of the kingdom. It's like we have this father who wants us with him so we can experience his love. And there are people who are separated from him and they can't hear from him and they can't experience him, but they can experience us and they can hear from us and we get to go to them. And, and, and the Father invites us to join him in that. That is awesome, isn't it? Like, it's an amazing thing. And then he's given us his Holy Spirit to live inside of us and, and to actually empower us to go and do that well. Every single one of you in here, right? If you have a relationship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You guys know that? And he's not in there like taking a nap, all right? He has actually given you gifts and empowered you to go and do some things. And the reason that that seed of the kingdom was planted in you was one, so that you could enjoy it, and two, it's so that you could spread it. Some of you guys might be sitting here and you're thinking, yeah, but Bill, I'm not, like, that's easy for you to say. Like, you're a speaker. You, like, do that thing, right? You can get up on stage and not be nervous and feel like you're going to die. Some of you would feel like you were going to die if you were up here right now. You wouldn't. It'd be okay. Um, and, and you think, well, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a missionary. I don't travel well. I'm not gifted. I'm not this. And, like, that is, like, we got to stop that, okay? 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to read this to you guys. You can go there with me if you want to. Starting in verse 4. I hope it's okay, I'm going to read a lot. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. Now to each one, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. I love this next section because it shows like, Man, God had some stuff written down because he understands humans. They, like, we're actually still the same now as we were then. It says, just as the body, though one has many parts, all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit to form one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. All were given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body... It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. 
The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts of the body we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. Or at least they used to be. Um, While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. All right, I want you to look at the person next to you and say, you have gifts. All right, this is the harder part. I want you to look at them and say, and so do I. (laughs) All right, what's harder? What's harder to say to somebody else you have gifts or to say to them, I have gifts? Right, we've got like this, this like stupid false humility where it's like, oh, I'm not that gifted. I'm not like, God made you and he gave you gifts. Stop trying to talk him out of that, okay? Like, it's... What I love about this passage is, is like, they, they covered both sides of it. It's like, okay, everybody's got gifts, and you don't get to look at your own gift and say, because it's not that person's gift, it's not good enough, so I'm not going to do anything. Because that's where, honestly, that's where most of us probably fall, is we're always comparing our gift to somebody else's, and it's like, well, I'm not as good of a speaker as that person. I'm not as good of a this as that person. And like, we're kind of like, oh, I just have like this little gift down here that like I can't really do anything with. Or there are some people who are like, well, we don't need your gift. Like, you're not good at that. Like, you're not as good of a this as that person is, so you don't really have a part here. God's saying, I don't want any of that. I gave each of you the gift I gave you for a reason. And each of you is a necessary part of this body. And if we are actually going to do the mission that God's given us to do, if we are going to help God get his family back, all of us need to show up with our gift and all of us need to do our part. Nobody gets a free pass. We're not just like along for the ride here. And so what I want to challenge you guys to do is to think about what are the gifts that God has given you and how can you use those to show the world his love? What are those gifts? I actually want you to take a minute and write stuff down. I'm even going to tell you, like, if you want to, you can pull out your phones in church and nobody's going to judge you for it. But I I want you to literally stop for a minute. We're going to take two minutes in complete silence. And I want you to write down what are some gifts that God has given you that you can use to love his family. Okay? And you don't have to just look for like those gifts, those lists of spiritual gifts in scripture. And be like, well, I'm this one or this one. Like the Holy Spirit's a lot more creative than just those lists. Okay? So what has God given you? What's he put in your life? Skills, talents, abilities, pain you've gone through, stuff you've worked through, what gifts has God given you that you can use to serve his mission of helping him get his family back? So, you know, two minutes, it's a really long time. Um, So write some stuff down.
Anybody, anybody not come up with anything? Okay, good. That's going to have the person who loves you the most slap you. Um, how do I build people up? How do I bring freedom where people are in bondage? How do I help people who are hurting and broken realize the depth of love their father has for them? Bill, aren't you supposed to be the missions guy? Like, I'm supposed to be talking about, like, going over there and doing things, you know? I actually, I think I'm allowed to say this because I'm the missions guy. Sometimes I hate the word missions because everybody hears missions and they think about, like, over there. Like, we go, we go and do something over there, you know? And it's like, all right, am I supposed to be up here showing you pictures and making you feel guilty about the wealth and comfort that you have in America? Um, no. That's, that's not what I want to do. I, I love missions, even though I just said I hate the term sometimes. I love it. I've spent years of my life overseas. I've been to over 30 countries. I've gotten to see and experience God in all these cultures and to share the love of Jesus with so many people. And, like, it's amazing. So, um, as, as Pastor John said, like, I work with Adventures and Missions. I have for over 10 years. And I've loved missions since I was a kid. Um, I grew up in a church kind of like yours that really valued missions. So I grew up like surrounded by this stuff. I remember one time I was in kindergarten and, and, I can, and it was first grade, first grade. And we were supposed to write down like a dream career. Okay. My dream career at that point, um, I loved missions and I loved animals. So I actually wrote down that I wanted to be a missionary veterinarian. <laughs> so I could go to other nations and help people and animals. Um, I kind of gave up on the animal thing. I still love people. Um, and now, now I spend my time preparing and sending people out to do missions, but here's what happened is when, when I went and spent time in missions, God used that time to pull me out of kind of the melee of American life, right? Of the busyness and, you know, as it talks about in the parable we read at the beginning of like the deceitfulness of wealth and the distractions of life and like I think we all know we're, we're way too dang busy, Right? I remember at times in my life praying to God, I'm like, God, I want you to fill me up. I felt like God said at one point, like, you're already full. It's like, oh, okay. Got to create some space if God's actually going to do something different in there. And what happened is when I went overseas and when I did missions, I fell in love with God's mission. And it wasn't just about going to other countries anymore. It was about realizing this depth of love that God has for all of the children and the fact that most people on this planet are actually disenfranchised from a father who deeply loves them and has amazing things for them and they don't even know it. And they don't experience it. And you know, you hear like, oh, Bill trains missionaries. You know what? Well, at least the portion of missionary training that I do, it's this. What I do to train missionaries is I want them to know you have a God who loves you so deeply and he loves everybody else so deeply too and we have to get God's children back into his space so they can experience that. It's the privilege and the opportunity we have. It's not something we should just like feel guilty about if we don't do it. Like if, if you're doing something like that out of guilt, what I'm going to tell you is you don't understand how much he loves you. Because once you do, you're like, oh my gosh, there's other people who don't know this? 
man, I gotta, I gotta become a part of that. And so I fell in love with his mission instead of just missions, instead of just a concept of going over there to people who don't know and then coming back and living my life. What I realized is my whole life is now about waking people up to the reality of God and the loving Father that he is. To these things like John 10.10, 10, it says, The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We know that we're working to help connect God's family back to him, and we have an enemy who is working to keep them disconnected from him. Right? He comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus came so that his kids could have life and have it to the full. 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some understand slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I'm with you always to the very end of the age. It's a mission that exists everywhere you are and everywhere you go. So how are you going to join the mission? Not just how are you going to do missions or support missions, but how are you going to join the mission? How are you going to join the mission in wherever it is you go for lunch today? How is it you're going to join the mission of connecting God's family back to him in your office, in your workplace, in your high school, in your college? I love that. Um, I actually grew up in a church, and we did the same thing that Lindy was talking about. We did the faith promise every year. And um, that's an incredible thing. And like, absolutely give financially to missions. That's an amazing thing. I mean, that's how my kids eat, okay? Um, and, and that's how a lot of your other like missionaries, that's how their kids eat. And like, that's an awesome thing. And, and um, you know, when it comes to the money thing, it's like, it's all God's money anyways, right? So we should just be asking God all the time, what do you want me to do with your money? Um, and then we do it, right? But I want you to think in another turn with this faith promise thing of God, just in the same way that God has given you his money to steward on this planet, God has also given you his gifts. And what I want you to do, and once again, I'm going to have you write or type in your phone, is I want you to do a faith promise that has to do not with your money, still do the money one, but what's your faith promise with the gifts that you wrote down? How are you going to use those gifts this year to serve God's mission? How are you going to use those gifts to help the father who desperately wants his kids to experience his love? How are you going to help him get his family back? What are you going to do with those gifts that he's given you? And, and here's what I'm going to push you to do. Write down at least one or two practical things that you can do in the next, like, two weeks. It's okay. Just start small. Don't stay small. God's given you big gifts. Okay? But I want you to write down what's one or two things that you can do in the next couple of weeks. What's going to be your faith promise with your gift to give to the world. Just take a minute and write that down.
Father, I thank you that you, you've used somebody to bring us to this place already. Father, that there's other children of yours who've reached out and shown us your love and what it's like. I thank you that you've brought the people here that you have. And then, God, I thank you that you have trusted us. You've invited us to join you in this mission of bringing your family back together, of bringing your, your kids into relationship with you so they can experience your love. And I thank you that you haven't just asked us to go do something impossible on our own. You've given us your spirit so that we can work together with you to do this. Father, for anyone in here who doesn't know the depths of your love for them, I pray that you would actually just supernaturally touch them now. I pray that there would be in this room an understanding, and not just an understanding, but an experience of the love of a father who would and has done anything for his children to know that love. And I pray that it would transform us and inspire us and motivate us to go out and do the same for others. Yeah, we love you, Father. Guys, it's been, it's been a huge privilege and an honor to be here with you guys today. Um, and the stuff I've been talking about, I mean, this is, as, as an organization, as Adventures of Missions, as we do the World Race, this is, this is why we do it. It's because we want to awaken people to the reality of the love of the Father, so that they can be transformed. And wherever, whether they go back to Cambodia or they go back to the States and to college and to your local churches, that everything would be different. And you don't need a missions trip for that to happen. It's a great environment for it to happen. But um, if you're in that space and I'm saying stuff and you're like, I need more, like, do whatever it takes to get to a place where you can know the love of the Father so deeply that you can't help but go and join him in his mission.